So, here we are. We've asked three questions in regards to why discipleship. Who are you following? What is your mindset? And what is your mission? And today, the conclusion is it's time to take action. It's time to take action. It's time for action. So, how many of us have started a lot of things in our lives only to not finish them? Anybody? Am I the only one? I started uh, a few projects in the last couple years, and one of them was something that was kind of just a personal thing I did. And I was working on it uh, consistently, or so it seemed for a while. And then for some reason, life got busy, and I completely forgot about it. Neglected to do it for a certain amount of time. And one of, the, one of the difficulties in once you realize you've gotten behind on something is you have that thought that goes through your head. Is it worth going back and catching up again? How many of you have ever had that happen? Is it worth going back and continuing what it is I started because now I'm so far behind? Well, some of you may feel that way when it comes to Bible reading. Okay, You may start late. Um, you may start, but then stop for a while, and it just gets difficult. It gets, it gets overwhelming sometimes because you've got 30 things going on. You have the flu. Um, your children are sick. Uh, life just gets crazy and overwhelming, and you go, well, I'm behind now two weeks. Folks, the, the, the Bible reading program that we've implemented for this year, you should be able to catch up without any problem. The reason why, as, as we were putting this all together, uh, we wanted to make sure that this was something that worked for us as a church is that we know that most of us in America, at least modern America, are very busy people. In fact, we're so busy, we tend to not have time for the things that matter sometimes in our own lives when it comes to our families because we have so many other things that kind of clutter the quality time that we have with our children. Is that not the truth? And what tends to happen for us now in, in modern America is we tend to look at the world through a lens that is very much unbiblical. We tend to think of the temporal things instead of the eternal things. How do I know that? Well, the news comes up with some story, and I'm concerned about this more than I am my kid's soul. Something else pops up at work, or something pops up in ministry, and I'm more concerned with how do I get through this whole thing with this person today instead of thinking long-term of where God's taking us long in, in, into eternity. You see, the problem is, is we tend to look at the world through a natural worldview instead of a supernatural worldview. This is something that's been mes uh, mentioned many times under the teaching of Pastor Rizzo, and it's one thing that the more I look at, the more I realize I'm looking at the world naturally rather than supernaturally. As we look at the text this morning, and we're going to jump into Matthew 28 as a kind of the, the head text to start with again, and then we're going to jump around scripture. We have a few things I want to kind of connect this morning. Um, I want you to understand that discipleship is something that is not done alone. The whole point of discipleship is fellowship. If there's no fellowship, there can be no discipleship. Mark those words. People that are self-discipled are not disciples. People that are self-studied are not discipled because discipleship requires a mentor and a mentee. Those are required for discipleship. 
And a lot of people will, will make claims, well, Jesus and the Holy Spirit's all I need. I don't need anybody else. And it sounds great at the surface. But if you actually look historically, and we're going to look at that this morning, that is just not the case with the church. It's never been the case with the church. It's a, it's a concept that people come up with when they no longer like spiritual authority. So they want to become their own authority. Here's the reality, folks. Every single person from the pastor down needs accountability in their life. Everybody does. Nobody likes it, but everybody needs it. And here's, here's, here's what I'm willing to, if you will, make a bet, though I don't bet on this. Um, every single one of us, when we haven't been held accountable for certain things in our lives, have failed. When we haven't been held accountable for certain things, have failed. Whether it's our spiritual walk, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, wherever it is, if we haven't been held accountable, how many of us as little children always did our homework on time? Hmm? Some of you have parents who are living through that with your kids now. What, what I think is funny, though, is we as parents assume we were better as kids than our children are sometimes. And it's like, well, wait a second. No, you didn't do your homework. You waited last minute too, Roman. <laughs> you don't remember this? You don't remember those years? Oh, yeah, I do remember them. Because I remember the, the discipline that followed for not doing the work. You know, here's, here's the problem with a lot of our Christianity is it's always, it's always based many times on our experience rather than the Word of God. The reason why you do things a certain way in your family is because your family used to do it a certain way. And if you're a first-generation Christian, to you, you've broken the mold. There's something new that, that, that's going on in your home. And, and usually it's easier to live that out because you know that this is a totally different lifestyle than what your family has grown up, you've grown up with. But what's difficult is when you've grown up in a Christian home and your parents used to do it a certain way, and then now you're raising your kids and you start realizing, well, wait a second, I'm kind of doing the things that my parents did. And you're doing it by default without realizing where that comes from in the Word of God. And the issue with that is not that you're doing what's right or wrong on that. It's that sometimes you do things by default without understanding where in Scripture that premise comes from. So this morning as we take a look at discipleship and really the, the, the call to take action, okay? It's time to take action. If you and I don't take action on the things that God calls us to do, we will all lose ultimately out on the best blessings in our lives. We will lose on potential blessings for ourselves and also for our families and the generation following. Because discipleship works that way. If you and I fail to do the things God calls us to today, our children will fail to do them the next generation. And the reality is, is as one man said, you're not raising your children, you're actually raising your grandchildren. Because you need to realize what you're actually doing and what you implement in your family, your children will implement in theirs. That's why it's important to be discipled. Every single person needs to be discipled if they're a believer in Jesus Christ. A person that wants to do it on their own will always fail. The whole point of community was always to build one another up. And we're going to talk about that this morning. You see, here's the reality. If you're following everyone else but Christ, you do not understand, understand discipleship from the beginning. If you're viewing the word of God through a Western worldview, as we talked about before, but missing key truths that were written for you from a Hebraic perspective, you're missing out on what God's actually trying to communicate sometimes. And if your goal or mission as a follower of Jesus Christ is everything but making disciples, you've missed the point of why you've been called out of darkness, brother or sister. You've missed the point. You see, if you think that God wanted you to, to, to live on this earth and he called you from 
from darkness to light so you can now have more money and be more well off financially, then uh, Jesus failed on that one. Uh, so doesn't Paul. So didn't a lot of people in the Word of God. Some prospered, others didn't, in, wor in worldly standards. But the text in Matthew 28 is, is, is a text we've been reading constantly, and I want you to understand that this is the way the Jewish people would get a text down. They'd keep continually reading it, reading it, reading it, meditating on it until they got it down. And I think we as a church need to get this text down. Matthew 28, starting verse number 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. You can't teach all that God has commanded us if you're not in the Word yourself. It's impossible. You're going to be off. You're not going to know. That's why discipleship is so important. And we talked about discipleship as being intentionally equipping believers with the word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. Now we're going to look at three specific ways that we are discipled here in this church. It's going to be more of a practical concept here at Sovereign Grace Church. Number one, the first way that we are discipled is Sunday gathering. You're here this morning. Welcome. You're in the first stage of discipleship, Sunday gathering. Okay? The second one is small groups. This, this would be something we're going we're to define a little more clearly. And then the third one is discipleship groups. This is something that we have not really done specifically as a church, though it's, it's been done kind of unofficially with some people in this church. So number one, Sunday gathering. Why should I make church a priority? Can't I just worship at home? I'm referring to the systematic weekly gathering of the local body when I'm talking about Sunday gathering. Well, the first reason why you and I should gather on Sundays is the fact that Christ gave his life for the church. Not because Pastor Roman said so, but because Christ gave his life for the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, we see this, this, these verses say, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The idea of not loving Christ's church is an oxymoron. Because those that come by faith are added to the church. That's like not loving yourself. You are the church. You realize that? It's like saying, I don't like other followers of Jesus, but I'm a follower myself. Aren't we confusing sometimes? Everyone else is a hypocrite but me. That's kind of what we're saying. Your hope is not in other people. We're gathering because Jesus is amazing, not because any of us are. Another reason, building up happens in the church. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine 
by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You need the church to make sure that you're staying on track. Tossed to and fro. Most people that fall into this do not make church attendance a priority. I'm just going to tell you that right up front. It's not legalism to say church attendance is important, folks. If anybody is a faithful student of the word, they'll see that the church gathered. In fact, the church gathered daily. We're not even doing that. So if the argument is, I don't need to gather with the church, then go back to the Bible and see how much further they took it than you'll even think of taking it. It's not legalism to say church attendance is important for spiritual growth. It's not the only thing, but it is necessary. The reason we don't feel others care for us is, not, is because we haven't personally intentionally spent any time with them. Your perception of others you don't spend time with will, will always be off. Always. You don't spend time with people, you'll always have a different perception of them. You can guarantee that. You ever assume someone's mad at you because you haven't spent time with them? Anybody ever done that? Am I the only one that assumes that sometimes? Good. Glad a few of you have that assumption. So, and then all of a sudden you spend time with them only to find out there's nothing wrong. It's all you. Right? Does that not happen? Man, that was way off. Hmm. Where's the problem? Where do you think the problem comes from? Your misperception. You see, you have a part in the local body of believers. Why do we not think we are important? You see, some of you just think, well, I'm not really needed at Sovereign Grace Church. There's other people that do all these other things. No, we really do need you. We would just love to actually get to know you so that we can work together and do other things for Christ that we aren't currently doing. You don't have to have your life perfect to serve Christ. And that's what's messed up in a lot of churches. They want people to be everything lined up perfect before they'll let them serve in any capacity. You can be messed up and be a greater in a church any day. You can be somebody that can serve in other ways that you are, you're probably not thinking of because you're constantly thinking, well, what, what use do I have? I'm already busy. I've got a lot of things going on. Look, there are things that we can have you serve in. And we would love to have your help. But realize that you need to be here for us to make the connection right. I promise you, as a pastor, I don't look down on people that don't come to church. My heart breaks for them. My heart breaks for them. Because they don't realize that Christ has called them to be a part of the body. And that the body needs them. Now here's the reality. We need you. You also need us. That's how it works. The pastor is the gift of the church not because he's awesome and amazing, but because God has called him to that ministry. Christ has already made you relevant, believer. 
You don't need someone else's approval to be relevant. I don't know why we're always waiting for somebody else to do the work that God has already done in our lives by telling us that we're accepted in the beloved. But that's why church exists, because we do need the building up. Because we're too self-absorbed thinking either too highly of ourselves or too low of ourselves. At different times in our lives, we think one or the other. And that's why the church is there to put us in check. Third, the church is what God uses to reach others. In fact, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, I really like how the Amplified Version says, it says, Let us seize and hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to his word. And let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good work, good deeds. Not forsaking our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and the more faithfully as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. Understand the church is essential in reaching others. If you're concerned about Christ's return, you should be concerned in gathering with believers. It's amazing how many people love prophecy, but they don't love being in the church. Makes no sense. Hebrews completely debunks that in this text. You should be encouraging one another more to gather together. Especially if you know that Christ's return is at any moment. Lone Christians waiting for Jesus to come back are not heeding the warning of Scripture. Just uh, FYI, the habit of not gathering in the church was something that went on right in the beginning. It's not some new habit that only modern Christianity has formed. People had a struggle attending back then like they do today. And that is why the apostles constantly reiterated the importance of stirring people up to, to be encouraging to build people back up in their faith, to gather together. I'm concerned that the reason our church has not reached others is because we don't like to spend time together ourselves. You see, how could you want somebody to join your family if you don't like spending time with your own family? Think of that practically. It makes no sense. If you're out of the church, understand you are a family and you're missing out on what could be the most beneficial thing for your walk with God. So that's the first thing, the church. The second one we're going to look at is small groups. So do we really need such a thing? I mean, we already have the church. You just mentioned that. Why do we need small groups? I would argue that the early church had all three of the things that we're going to discuss, discuss this morning. And we're going to talk about them separately because we're more Western in our thinking, so I'm going to list them out, if you will. Uh, but all three of these things are going on in the early church. The sad reality is most modern churches have people gather for praise and worship with a very short and sweet sermon that does not care for discipleship in the very least. In fact, living life together in fellowship around the word is very much foreign in a lot of churches. Their fellowship revolves around activities, about fun, about bowling, sports, all the other things but the word. 
All those things are good if the word is a priority. But if those things replace the word, that's a problem. And sadly, a lot of churches have done that. Small groups are typically groups of about 10 to 12 of men and women gathering for the purpose of discussing what was mentioned in the word that week from the morning worship. The goal is to get beyond hearing the sermon to engaging with what the word calls for. So understand these are all in sequence. I don't want you to jump to thinking small groups are important. I don't need to go to church. Because the whole point of small groups is to tie in what you've been taught in church. Does that make sense? So whatever it is that you're taught on Sunday morning is going to be discussed in small groups. In fact, the practice is from the beginning of the church. We see this in Acts chapter 2, right from the beginning. And they continued steadfastly in the, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That means the apostles taught the church. In the breaking of bread and in prayers. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let me be clear. I understand the attraction to small groups. It's more relaxing. It's more comfortable. Uh, but if you're not attending faithfully in the local church and you're not coming on Sunday mornings, then I would ask you to start there and then join a small group. I don't want it to go backwards, if you will, because you're going to miss out on the very thing small group is revolving around, which is the word that was discussed that morning. So please understand, these are all in a certain order for a reason. The goal should always be to gather in the main gathering, even the early church put the emphasis on the apostles' teaching, and then they went and discussed those things together. Any small group that's outside the parameters of the local church has the potential for blatant heresy. And some of you will say, well, the churches, churches have a potential for blatant heresy. You're right. But small groups aren't recorded and posted online for us to know exactly what people are teaching. You can check a church's website out. You can see what they post for their sermons, and you can see if they're off. Small groups is not so easy unless you're secretly recording them and posting them online. Because what's dangerous in small groups, if they're not outside the, the body of local believers in the local church is that there's a potential for people being completely off in their eisegesis, reading things into a text that's not really there. Even for me as your pastor, I have others in this church that have to hold me accountable if I'm off on the word. You need that as well. In fact, as another translation puts it, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So obviously in the, in the context today, we can't go to the temple every day. Okay, like that, We understand that. But we can share meals with one another and enjoy each other's company. The next time you have somebody over your house, just, to, just an encouragement to you. Discuss the sermon. Discuss what it is that God's taught you that week in the Word. Get beyond how's your family doing. Those are good questions to ask. I, I, want, you know, I want you to know one another in that sense. But what about your spiritual walk? Try to encourage people in the church to talk about the things that God's been dealing in their life about. And then share with, what, with them what God's done in your life. And see how fellowship actually builds up the church. 
You see, some of us, we're waiting for everything to be perfect, you know? Every, everything in our house has to be arranged perfect before we will have anybody over. Look, get over it. We all have messy house, houses sometimes, okay? If anybody has children, it's a given, all right? If you're by yourself, you should have a higher standard, okay? The reality is, is every one of us needs to be willing to open our homes to other fellowship with other people. The only fellowship that should be going on in the church should not just be in this church. It should be going on in homes. In fact, whatever the topic is, for example, that's discussed, you should be able to be able to bring that up with other believers in this church. Whether it's prayer, whether it's living, you know, the spiritual walk, you know, whether 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 you're looking at your life and comparing that to someone else's and going, hey, you know what, here's where I'm off. You see, here's what happens with small groups that doesn't happen in the local church, which is important why these are all in sequence. The small groups, when, when, you, take, when you take the word of God that's been taught that morning and you bring that in to a smaller context where people are talking about what's going on in their life, then you start realizing, um, here's where I'm off. And the guy next to you or the girl next to you, or the lady, I should say, next to you, they start realizing that they're off too on something. And before you know it, you start encouraging one another to start living out the word. Because here's what I would, I would, I would argue that many of us do. Many of us take a sermon, we hear it, it's a good point. Oh yeah, great conclusion, yeah, let me think about that. We think about the conclusion for five minutes. But you know what? what really tends to happen that's the biggest problem is we never follow through. In fact, most sermons are forgotten by the next day. You know, once we eat lunch the next day... Sermon on Sunday is gone. So I don't, I don't put a lot of stock into my sermons. I put a lot more stock in people discussing the word because I know the word, once it gets into us, it's going to come out. You see, a lot of us, we, we try to kind of step in shallow water when it comes to the faith. We don't want to go too deep. I'm asking you to go a little deeper than you have before. I'm asking you to step out a little more. I'm using the analogy because you have to understand there are certain things that you will only accomplish in this Christian life if you're willing to go all in. Don't hesitate. You see, you're blown away by people in the Word of God that did things, the mighty things for God, and you realize Jesus actually made a statement that I don't think a lot of Christians understand. It's been misquoted, so that's why I think we're scared to, to, to make this statement. But Jesus says to the disciples, greater things you will do than even I have. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later. The incredible thing about Christ is that he knew that discipleship was what it was about. Teaching those that were under him was what it's about because those will then teach others who will then, boom, the, the church explodes after Jesus leaves the scene. John Orberg says this. He says, God uses people to form people. That is why what happens between you and another person is never merely human-to-human -human interaction. The spirit longs to be powerfully at work in every encounter. One method used to show love. This is small groups we're talking about. The second point. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The way others know that we are Christians are 
followers of Jesus is not based on the wonderful ad we run as a church, the wonderful music that we have, the awesome uh, flyer that we pass out. It's going to be determined by the love that we have for one another. When a person enters the church and they see that there's a love between that church, between people in that church amongst each other, that's what binds us to them. You see, you and I, we desire fellowship to the core. And it comes from the triune God who is in perfect fellowship from the beginning. You and I have been created with that in mind. You and I need fellowship. Anybody that says they don't need fellowship does not understand the hole that they are constantly avoiding. And the reason why most people don't understand that is because we're constantly looking at ourselves as the answer rather than saying, God, I'm going to go with what you say. You said I need fellowship. I'm going to be there. You see, you shouldn't want fellowship in the church because pastor said so. You should want fellowship in the church because God said so. And God exemplifies it throughout. In fact, the God in the Trinity exemplifies it perfectly. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Perfect unity. Small groups create the very environment for a person who may be far from God to be in fellowship around those that know him. When you allow other disciples or church members into your home, you're demonstrating that you care for them. This is so countercultural to the way things are today. In fact, I don't know how many of you remember this. When I was a little boy, we lived in Westfield. And uh, we would have this random knock on the door at like 8 p.m. And like my parents would have some friends come by. And they'd be like, hey, we're around. We're wondering if we could stop in and talk. Sure, come on in. And we're like excited. It's 8 p.m. We're having dinner at 8. You know, just sit down, have some kielbasa with cheese and and some, some tea. It's no longer that way. Like, now we're like frustrated when someone comes at our door. We're ticked. You know, how dare you come without calling? I mean, I guess we have better technology. We can communicate that a little more clearly and kind of give people a heads up of 20 minutes. Hey, I'm on my way. You know, but regardless, what happens now in the church is we're just afraid to open our homes to people. Look, God's not looking for perfection as far as your house, okay? Those baseboards will be fine, ladies. They'll be okay. People will survive. Imagine if you had dirty baseboards, but you got in the word deep that day. Will that not be more of a benefit? We're too worried about looking so perfect. Hey, newsflash. We're all messy people. And I mean by spiritually speaking. We have a lot of messes that God has to still clean up in our lives. We have a cleanup on aisle one, two, three, you name it. If you and I don't want to be around others in the church, we would have no reason to invite others in. If you don't have a home that works, just as a practical note, that works for people to come in and fellowship with you, there are plenty of places to do that. There's Dunkin' or Starbucks, depending on which one you like. There's also Cracker Barrel, as one preacher said, Discipleship Central. Maybe not Golden Corral, though. You know, it might not be a good idea. 
you, you might not feel safe uh, sharing as much there with the loud noise. But I do want to make this statement, and I, I want to clearly make this statement. I actually made sure that I ran it by my wife before I made this statement. Um, our home is open to anybody that's in need. If you have something going on, you need to chat, you need to sit down. If you don't like coffee, we can give you tea. I'll take something else's off, but you know, I'll give you tea. But I do, I do want you to realize that for us, we understand that this is a big thing that God's called us to as the leaders of this church. Our home is always open. If you need anything, if you need even midnight, something's going on serious, you need to get away from what's going on, give me a call. I'm dead serious. So we've talked about the church, small groups, and the last one is going to be discipleship groups. So if we have small groups, why do we need discipleship groups? Like, because small groups don't hold you accountable the way discipleship groups will. I would argue that discipleship groups, or as one church refers to it, the CrossFit of Bible studies. This is where you get really pumped up in your faith. You'll get what I mean here in a second. Discipleship groups are typically a group of three to five men's groups and women's groups which meet weekly to hold one another accountable in their Bible reading, prayer, memorization of Scripture, and personal application of Scripture. This is to develop the disciple into a disciple maker. From taking most of what the church is in students to becoming a teacher, teaching someone else. I've asked the question before, and I'm going to ask it again. How many people have you personally discipled in your life? And I'm not talking you gave them a word of encouragement. I'm talking you sat down with them and you worked with them for a long time to have them understand what God says in his word. The goal is not to leave anyone hanging here, but to encourage all of us to come to maturity in our faith where we can pass our faith down to the next generation. The reason for discipleship groups is to mature one in the faith so that they can teach someone else and fulfill the Great Commission. Why would we care about discipleship groups? Well, first of all, uh, there's a verse that we've been kind of reiterating over and over. It's because it's commanded by Christ. Matthew 28, 18 tw through 20. This is probably like the 10th time we've read this, but we're going to do this again. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So why do I need to care about discipleship groups? Because Jesus commanded it. It should be enough for you to take discipleship seriously because the Lord commanded it. In fact, Christ lived this out, and as far as we've discussed before, even the first message in the first message in the series, he called his disciples to follow him. He spent 90% of his time with 12 men, of which he spent an even more personal time with three of them. And what by the time he ascended to heaven, he only had 120 disciples that saw him go up. You see, Jesus didn't start a mega church. He invested in a few who then built the church. See, too many people are looking for the quick 
explosion in the church, and they're not realizing that discipleship is what Jesus has always been about. It's one of the reasons why a lot of the evangelistic uh, crusades that have happened in this country have not really produced faithful followers of Jesus because there was never a follow-up. There was a quick decision. Yes, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. Amen. Jesus is Lord. And people moved on, living life as they always did. Because discipleship was not a priority. Jesus entrusted his ministry to a few who then took the ministry to the nations. Number two, exemplified by Paul. In fact, Paul says this in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. He says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you've heard of me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In fact, discipleship is always meant to be passed down to the next generation. In this verse alone, there are four generations mentioned. You have Paul, who passes down to Timothy, Timothy who disciples other faithful men, and faithful men who disciple others. In one verse, you have four generations mentioned. If you think the gospel was meant to terminate with you, you are way off. It's never been meant to, to terminate with you and me. It was always meant to pass on to someone else. Don't be surprised, parents, if your children throw away your faith when they get older if you have not discipled them. Children can see when we're hypocritical with our faith. We talk about things in church one way, but at home it's just not as important. When we hang out with others, scripture is rarely brought up, but we assume since they go to church, they're just fine. We are more about bringing our kids up with good morals than actual good theology. Parents, teaching your children obedience is not enough. Because what they obey may not be what you want them to obey later on when they get older. Good theology matters, folks. Being in the Word matters. Being discipled matters. Our trying to understand ourselves better will have devastating consequences if it's not in light of what God's Word says. It breaks my heart, the articles I continually read about musicians, Christian musicians, authors that I know and I've read, they walk away from their faith because they're trying to find themselves. Yeah, find yourself in the Word. Not the garbage that the world keeps putting in your head. Finding worth apart from Christ is a waste. In everything, when it comes to the relative importance of theological issues, they fall in four categories typically in the church. There's a graphic that hopefully is up there. You've got absolutes, which are non-negotiable core beliefs of the Christian faith. That would be like the Trinity, salvation by faith alone, the deity of Christ. You have convictions, though they're not core beliefs, may have significant impact on health, the health and effectiveness of the church. For example, which Bible translation we may use. My version is the correct one. No one else is correct. You have that uh, at times become a problem in the church. Music in the church. Well, we believe this is the right music for the church. It's, it's a conviction. Or drinking alcohol. 
drinking alcohol is, is, is a sin. I don't stand for that. And I disagree with other people in the church on that. So it's a conviction. Another one, the third one, is opinions. They're less clear issues that generally are not worth dividing over. Um, for example, should I call or text somebody that hasn't been to church on Sunday? You know, should church be longer or shorter? Though most people would probably prefer shorter. And then the fourth one is questions, you know, that are currently unsettled issues like who is the Antichrist, right? Like everybody wants to know. Um, although it depends who you ask, you know, that might be a conviction for some. It was narrow, you know. What, how exactly did the Holy Spirit inspire others? You know, those are, those are things that we just don't have exactly clear answers on. In discipleship groups, the goal is for you to understand your convictions and understand that there are absolutes that are non-negotiable. Sadly, what people do is they take their opinions and make them absolutes and take absolutes and make them opinions. This is why discipleship is important, folks. This is no joking matter. It terrifies me, some of the garbage that a lot of young men and women are exposed to in the Christian bookstore. And they read it without discernment. Oh, that's so wonderful. They, made, they quoted my favorite verse. I could do all things through Christ. Isn't that wonderful? With this massive blatant heresy attached to it. It is important that you get in the word and that you have the word get into you. And you ultimately are taught correctly. You don't give a baby meat. You give them milk first. And sadly, we have baby Christians trying to teach other baby Christians how to live the Christian life. And mature believers are trying to tell people, watch out, and everybody's looking at, well, but they're not that bad. A little poison isn't going to kill us. It will. It may just take some time. As we talked about this, discipleship is intentionally equipping believers with the word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. So a discipleship group in its simple format would include these things. The reading of the word for the week. Scripture memory. Prayer. Journaling what you've read. Highlight, explain, apply, and respond. We'll have that online. It'll be more explained readily there. Sharing with your group your journal. What is it God's shown you that last week? And holding each other accountable to follow through. And the last one is see life change. You see, in order to have your life change in the way God would want you to, you need to have certain disciplines in your life. Just like you need disciplines to go to the gym to lose weight, you need disciplines in the spiritual life to do certain things for the kingdom. There's no fad diet when it comes to the spiritual life. There's not, read John 3.16, you're good. Just repeat it every day, you're good. There's work involved, folks. Real work. So in conclusion, what are you going to do about discipleship? What are you going to do about discipleship? I want to ask you a couple questions. Are you reading currently? Are you reading the word currently faithfully? If you're not doing that, start there. See, here's the problem with a lot of us. We like to skip a bunch of steps and get kind of cheat, if you will, in our Christian life. We, we want to say something about God without having spent time with God. 
you need to read the Word. Do you faithfully attend church? Is this a priority for you? If it's not, don't jump to discipleship groups. It's just not going to work out well. In fact, I, I prefer that a lot of us don't go to discipleship groups until we get the other things settled first. Baby steps. Little at a time. Are you going to get involved with small groups? Ask yourself that question. Is that something that I'm going to get involved with? Parents, realize that you set the tone for your family. If you believe fellowship with other believers is not important, your kids will not believe it's important as well. But I don't like that person. Tough. Church is filled with people you don't like. God still saved them. Is discipleship group something you've been missing in your life? You see, that one is another level. You're going to be held accountable for things. Like, you mean people are going to be able to ask personal questions? Yeah. For those of you that are ever going to get into that setting, you've got to understand there's going to be a confidentiality statement that you're actually going to sign. There's going to be a, a binding agreement between you and others that you are going to be confidential in what you share. But I don't want you going there until you're not doing the first things correctly. If you're doing the first things correctly, then I want you to eventually get to that point. But if you're not doing the first things correctly, I don't want you jumping there instantly. So you're going to need to change your priorities if you want to take discipleship seriously. You see, so many of us, we think that a lot of things in the Christian life are optional, like a menu. Pick them, you know? I like steak. Don't like the beans. Like broccoli. It's not that way. Jesus wants all of you, not some of you. I'm not here to declare that if you get to the third stage, you're the most mature Christian automatically. I'm saying that you need to do things in proper order. See, I know there are three types of people in this church. There's the, let's do this group. Let's go. I'm on board. I love those people. You don't have to convince them anymore. You're good. They're on board with you. They're going. Then you've got the let's wait and see group. Ah, we'll see where this goes. We've tried this kind of stuff before. Um, folks, I promise you this isn't some new methodology. This is just going back to the word God and going, let's just get back to the basics, get them right. And then the third group, which is probably the hardest group to, to deal with sometimes in the church, it's the never going to happen. Never. You're not going to make me do this. It's not going to go anywhere. Why should I even try? Well, I want to ask you to do something specific here. I want you to commit this year, for one year, that you're going to take discipleship seriously. And if God doesn't do amazing things in your life, then you can go ahead and say, all right, fine, it's over. I don't really care anymore. If you commit, you don't believe God's going to do what he's going to say? You don't believe that he's going to do what he said before? Of course he will. You know what's the problem? Us. God's always going to do what he says. We don't. But that's why discipleship is important. And I hope you take it to heart. I love you all. And I want this for our church long term. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for giving us your word. Father, we thank you for this call to discipleship that Jesus left behind. Father, we know that we take for granted many times the 
the truth that found in the word, and we constantly yearn for other things to calm and soothe our spirit. But we know the best comfort comes from you. Father, we know that the Holy Spirit, who is our comforter, works through the word. And we ask that as we partake in reading, that you would speak to us this next week. That we would take discipleship seriously. That we would no longer go back and forth, but go, I'm all in, Lord. Whatever you want, it's yours. Anything. That we would write you a blank check, and you get to write whatever you want on it. We ask that you bless our church. And Father, we ask that you give us spiritual vitality we've never had. In Jesus' name.